You are listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast out of Wesley Seminary at Iowa. Your host today is Dr. Aaron Perry, Assistant Professor of Pastoral Care. I love pastors, and I love being around people who love pastors. And I, beyond that, I love people who love pastors, who have really good and helpful things to say to pastors, who can decrease some of the burden and load that they bear. If you are a pastor whose responsibility it is to preach, today's podcast episode is for you. You are going to encounter a person who loves pastors. Beyond that, you're going to encounter a person who loves pastors. You're going to encounter a person who has wisdom to help lighten your load and ease your burden, especially with preaching, to make it more uh, enriched, to make it more effective, and I think to make it a more joyful process. Joining us today is Dr. Dave Ward. Dave teaches preaching at Indiana Wesleyan University. He's the author of Practicing the Preaching Life, published by Abingdon Press, been getting lots of great press, great reviews, and is uh, going worldwide in some of its use and the ways that um, God has blessed Dave to take the wisdom of this book elsewhere. In this episode, you're going to hear very simple structured rhythm to develop a sermon that keeps you from being put under the gun that should help you develop and have an actual day off, not simply a physical day off, but a mental day off from the sermon. And also that will encourage you that preaching is still important, still effective, and still necessary in your ministry. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. Thanks for uh, Dave for joining us. I think you're going to enjoy it. All right, Dave, let's just start out with kind of a simple one here. Uh, what's homiletics? Sure. A uh, big fancy word for the art and science of preaching. It's just how do you preach well? Uh, it sounds simple in one way it is. In another way, it touches a lot of things because if you're going to preach, you have to prepare to preach. If you're going to prepare to preach, you have to read scripture. To read scripture, you have to also think theologically. You also have to think pastorally. So a lot of things flow into homiletics and overlap with it. But in short, it's just the art and science of preaching well. So you've, you teach preaching here at Indiana Wesleyan University. You've taught preaching to you know, hundreds of people. You've preached probably into the thousands of sermons at, at this point. Uh, and now you've contributed a resource, Practicing the Preaching Life, published by Abingdon Press. Uh, why did you write the book? Uh, good question, because uh, there's plenty of preaching books out there that you could read, right? Why add another one to the long stack on people's shelves that they haven't fully read yet? <laughs> um, practicing the preaching life, it really is trying to fill a gap that I've felt for the last 12 years or so while I've been teaching preaching. Uh, there's texts that do pieces here and there, but uh, I don't have a preaching book that does everything this book tries to do, and especially rooting the preaching life, not just a single sermon, but the preaching life in the person of the preacher and our our deep discipleship in Christ, uh, and then moving outward into practical help, and and but connecting those things. So it's it's a more complete practical theology of preaching than I've been able to hand to students before and to pastors before, uh, and and I'm really getting great reviews from pastors that are using it. So I know that it's practical and helpful if pastors are actually using it and rereading it already since March. Uh, so just got a text from a friend of mine who's leading a whole preaching retreat based on the book. And he was rereading it for the third time and was tweeting it out as he was rereading it. So, so that was fun. Uh, but uh, that's the main goal, too, is to help pastors. That's what I wanted to help pastors preach well and send out a community that glorifies God. So talk to the maybe skeptical preaching pastor at this moment who has said, you know what, I've got six preaching books on my shelf. I've read, I've read them all. Still kind of find myself in this skeptical spot. Uh, what would you say to that person? Maybe they're even feeling like preaching is 
is growing out of style, right? It's, it's no longer a preaching day. Right? And maybe that, that kind of hit its heyday in, I don't know, 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever else. But they say it's definitely not today, you know? What would you say to that, that skeptic and maybe even person who's a bit disillusioned? Yeah, sure. I, of course, you have to dig in a little bit to understand why they're disillusioned and what are, what are the pains and hurts and wounds they're carrying. Usually, yeah. that means they've been beaten up a bit in ministry, and that happens. It's just what happens. Um, but that kind of thinking, feeling, and struggle isn't new. So if you go all the way back to the late 1800s, that there was a similar sentiment among some people who were in ministry thinking that preaching was passing away. Yeah, yeah. Happened again in the early 1900s, particularly with radio and things that were happening there. Happened in a new wave when TV came out. People thought TV was going to replace preaching. We wouldn't need preachers anymore. Happened again when the internet hit, and now we're in a new wave with social media. And in each of those waves, somebody's asked that question, and it never ends up. Uh, coming to reality that preaching passes away or even loses its style. Actually, 83% right now, I've, we're sitting in the United States of America. I know people listen to this maybe anywhere in the world, but in the United States of America, at least, uh, 83% of people who go to church decide on whether they're going to that church or how long they're going to stay on the basis of the quality of the preaching. That's a very recent survey. 83% wow. is a pretty stinking high number. So uh, the quality of preaching still matters to the people who are coming to church. It's what keeps them there and keeps them growing. More important to me, uh, throughout the history of all of the great movements of faith across the history of the Christian church, all of them have been rooted in and strengthened by and mobilized through great Christian preaching. Mm -hmm. So if we want to see God's movement happening in the world, we should keep doing what's worked before. Well, I know that one of the things that preaching brings, uh, you know, live, live site preaching, preaching from your actual pastor who is there and present and present with you is uh, an element, a window into their discipleship life, right? How they are wrestling with the text, how they are trying to live it out. Like you described homiletics as having this, you know, this huge window of, of engaging a congregation, engaging with the text, writing and developing content, uh, adding its, its spice and, and, flavor for communicable communicability and then and then the practice and then and then the post-sermon practice right how does the preacher live out the word that's been communicated to them um and and really that's that's not just the act of the preacher that's a window of the congregation into the preacher's life so you've you've described this kind of whole process of the preaching life tell us a little bit more about that what do you mean by the preaching life uh sure you know, I start out the book with a story of a, a much beloved parishioner who called me at 2 a.m. in the morning. Phone rang and I picked it up. That was back when the phone rang, you know. But uh, that was back in the 90s, late 90s, just before the turn. And uh, uh, I told her to call me. And Ed was dying, her husband, my fishing buddy. We just mm. fished two weeks before. He had four-stage lung cancer. And uh, I start out the, story, the, the preaching book with that because, to me, that's where preaching lives. Preaching doesn't live in a little tiny study where you gather your books and you quietly sip your coffee while you, you do those things. But those aren't what uh, preaching's embedded in. They're embedded in life. And they're embedded in life with God's people. Uh, I talk about suicide calls and uh, baptisms and new birth and the whole gamut. The pastor has this fantastic privilege of being in the most meaningful moments of people's lives all the way from birth to the grave. And so preaching has to situate itself in that, yeah. not stay stuck in Bible land, not stay stuck in the books, not talk in abstractions that don't resonate with the verve and pulse and breath of life and death, because we preach to people who are living and dying every day. 
So I think pastors understand that, but a lot of preaching books don't, honestly. They start with the text, and we're going to move from the text to the sermon. I think, no, 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 you've already got it wrong. We're going to move from life to the text, back to life, back to the text, back to life, back to the sermon, back to life, and eventually it comes to voice on Sunday morning. So it's trying to present this, the, really a lot of the pastoral ministry as being interwoven into the, into the preaching life. And, and you may just have some pastors say, okay, you've just described not an asset to my preaching rhythm, but you've described the, uh, the challenge of it, that the pastoral life is just way too full. It's way too busy. That's not enriching my preaching. That is just making me cram in on Saturday night or yep. Friday night. But you've tried to, to, not just give uh, a philosophy for preaching here that, that preaching is life. You've really, you've, uh, I shouldn't say you haven't just tried to give a, a, a philosophy that's, that's uh, in the negative sense, right? Philosophy right. Is, is a love of wisdom and wisdom should be practical. You haven't, you haven't developed a philosophy in the negative sense. You have really have developed a philosophy in the positive sense and you've worked this into uh, really practical things. Um, why, why don't you just start by laying out what does this look like? What does, if you had somebody who just says, okay, Dave, how do I start this preaching life today? What would you say to them? Yeah, well, there's kind of two sides to that. One of them is starting discipleship up again if, if it's gone cold. And the other is the actual preaching journey. So if you read the book, those of you who are listening, you'll, you'll notice that in the first half of the book, I deal a lot with the person of the preacher, humility, empathy, wisdom, courage, justice, all those things that make you the kind of person that sermons come out of somewhat automatically. Uh, and those are woven together and into your, the fiber of your being through your discipleship with Christ and the Christian practices you engage in. So I try to help preachers find their own personal revival. And a lot of the preachers that I'm coaching right now, that's what's going on for them. Not just that they're working on the nitty gritty of the sermon, but they're finding their faith invigorated, revived, a new impulse, uh, a new passion, returning to the first love, all of those sort of things. And that doesn't, uh, to me, sound irrelevant or secondary or on the side. That's really crucial. It's actually at the root. So that's the first part. The second part, the more nitty gritty, the moving on the preaching journey piece. Uh, I usually counsel preachers to decide on a text for four weeks out from now if they haven't done so already. If they're a lectionary preacher, I say, well, just pull up the Sunday and, and read that. I'm not personally a lectionary preacher. Uh, many are. So I think any way you go is fine. Just have a plan. If you want to do an expository series, if you want to do uh, something focused on the season of the church, whatever, just pick a, a verse. And all scriptures, God breathes, so take a passage. And four weeks out, just read it. That's it. That's where you start. Just read it. Just read the Bible. Go okay. figure, right? And uh, <laughs> what happens for most preachers is they put on their to-do list, uh, work on the sermon. And it's usually work on this week's sermon, which means they're already behind. And when they look at the to-do list, they see things they know how to do right away. Call Susan. Email Joe, right? Uh, make the copies or send uh, uh, the copies to the secretary to make for tonight's board meeting. They know how to do those things. They're real actionable. But work on Sunday sermon, where do I start? Yeah. And goodness sake, I'm already behind. So then that fear and anxiety system kicks in. They start kicking the ball down the road. They don't know how to get started. So they waste 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, move on to something else until Friday or Saturday comes and desperation hits and they bang, 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 bang out a sermon. Yeah. So if they just read four weeks in advance, a text they've already decided, They've got the ball rolling. Their subconscious starts to work. Uh, their prayer life starts to work. Um, they read it again the third week out, three weeks out. 
You read that same text one more time. Maybe write down a few questions. They're already moving the sermon forward. It starts to have momentum. And it's something you can put on your to-do list. It's real actionable. Read John 15, 1 through 5. Okay, I can do that. And I can do that in between this meeting and that meeting. Yeah. One of the things that uh, I appreciate is that because you've grounded this in the preaching in the preaching life, and the preaching life is encompassed in the pastoral life, and pastors are traveling different places, right? They, they go from appointment to appointment. They might be going to the hospital. They might be going down to, to visit somebody. They might just be running their kids around, right? They're right. taking their children to appointments. And, and you're, you're saying, like, find those dead times to engage the text as well. I know for me, I'll, I'm often listening to the Bible when I'm driving from place to place. And it's a wonder how fast you can get through the New Testament when you're listening for 30 minutes every sure. other day, right? It is. And, and I hear you say, well, have that, have that text in a place that you might read it. You know, I'm thinking whenever I start out preaching, first thing I do is is just print out the, the passage. So it's usually I can squeeze it onto one page, put it on some kind of clipboard or in a folder, and I'll read it and I'll mark it up. And and if I make two or three copies of that, and I put one in my car, I put one on my desk, I put one on my study at home, I've got it in three spots. And then I can just like w- weave it into what to yeah. what's going on. And I hear you say, that's already starting the work of preaching, right? That's yeah. already getting into the preacher's mind. It's already getting into this into the preacher's soul a month out, three weeks out. And, and uh, you're saying there's some productivity to it, be, in part because it's just taking the stress away. The yeah. pastor doesn't cram it all in. That's right. I, and I mean, if you, in the book, there's very practical help on how to get this sort of thing started, a chart that can tell you what to do each day of the pastoral week so that you're working on two or three sermons at a time, three or four weeks out, uh, talking about spirit, uh, sermon planning retreats, all that sort of thing. But all of that serves together to counteract what most preachers, like you're saying, think of as the primary negative. I'm very busy. How do I get these sermons together? And, and they hear people like me talk about how to prepare for preaching, and they think, I, I, I can't do that. That's not realistic. I've pastored. I work with pastors every week. I coach pastors from all over the world. I work with pastors in Haiti and Manila and Vietnam and Cambodia and Liberia. Those are places I'm working right now. And in all of those diverse spaces, that is the exact same problem. Whether they're bivocational, full-time, doesn't matter. They're all talking about the time crunch of pastoral ministry. But all of them have those on-the-way times. And the reason those on-the-way times aren't useful is they don't have the passage chosen or in their mind or in their heart, like you're saying. And they also don't think about speaking out loud as part of the sermon process, hmm. which it really is. We, in the book, I call it speaking meaning into being. When we say things out loud, we articulate something, and by articulating it, many theories support this, we realize something we didn't realize before, because we hear it. And like scripture says, faith comes through hearing, and that's for the preacher too. Sometimes we need to hear the sermon first, but if we don't hear it for the first time till Saturday night or Sunday morning, it doesn't have that richness of wisdom and weaving in and out of all of life. So 15 minutes to the hospital, if you haven't read the text, have it read to you on Audible from your phone. If you have read the text, just talk out loud about it. What are you thinking? What are you saying? After you've been at the hospital, now you're coming out of a zone of life and death. Yeah. Go back to the text again. I've had it happen so many times that I come back from those pastoral care visits and the text is now rich and alive and just pulsing. It has something powerful to say, or I'm angry. And I talk about the anger I feel which is what my parishioners are feeling. And if I can't handle my own objections, I'm certainly not going to be able to handle theirs. So then God and I have this wrestling match. I love what Fred Craddock used to say. He wished more preachers would wrestle with a text like Jacob wrestled with an angel saying, I won't let you go until you bless me. And I always add to that. Yeah, that's true. But you'll know you're blessed when something gets dislocated. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's what happened. Yeah. He was wounded. And when God dislocates something in you and you walk away limping, you think, oh, I think probably now I have a sermon because <laughs> the blessing and the wounding are going together. Anyway, life weaves together, sermons weave together, and I think it makes pastoral life a beautiful life. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you about, well, how do we go from two weeks out and then further up to the sermon? But I just wanted to camp on that that word picture you gave us about wrestling with the text for a second, because I know in previous conversations we've had, you've used the word picture of interrogating a text, right? And, and it's like you, you put it down and you torture it, right? You're torturing it until he's like, give me something to say. Yeah, that's know? what pastors sometimes do, not what we want to do. But yeah, yeah. to beat it out of your text. Yeah, and, and, and the difference is that there, there's, a, there's a kind of like, there's a... There's a uh, I almost said condensation, but I mean, there's a condescension of the text to wrestle with us, right? The text is so much more powerful than we are, but it condescends yeah. by the Holy Spirit. The, the, the word made flesh uses his written word through the Holy Spirit to, to condescend to us and wrestle with us where we are. In the, in the picture of torturing the text, there's a sense of that we're, we're more powerful than it. Yes. And, it, and it's, it's lifeless and it's limp. And, and I, I have the kind of the picture of the, of the crash cart and the paddles come together and it's like, Okay, you're dead, but I'm going to bring you back to life, and you're and because I brought you back to life, you're going to give me something to say, right? right. Like, and and um and there's elements of that that might be, in the moment we can we can torture the text and think we're wrestling with it, or you know we can confuse those, but but mm -hmm. the word picture given to me is that and it, the the rearrangement of power that the text mm -hmm. is alive, the text has sustained communities for. For thousands of years, God has been speaking. God has been speaking through these mm -hmm. written words for so long, and yet uh, condescends to us to wrestle with us in it. And that really helps me out to to think about it that way. This wrestling rather than torturing the text. So, all right. So two weeks out, okay. uh, you said four weeks out. They're reading. Three weeks out, they're reading and making some notes, starting some inductive study. Keep going. Sure. Yeah, and I will say the pastors listening. If you get the book just in the back, in the in one of the chapters near the back. And also in appendixes that I have there in the book, you can just photocopy a chart that tells you what to do each day. So it makes it really easy, real simple. It's Tuesday. What am I supposed to do for preaching today? Look at the chart, do those things. All of your sermons will move forward. But if, if you're trying to implement it slowly, which is what I tell pastors to do, most pastors can't uh, just turn everything off and turn on. I'm going to work four weeks out now. I haven't been doing that. I'm going to change that. Yes, we, got, we got to preach Sunday. Yeah. Right? So two weeks out then, uh, if you've read the text, Four, four weeks out. Then, then when it became three weeks out, you read it and asked a few questions. Now you have a few notes. And if you did your charting method, that's a beautiful method. Now you have some charting too. Two weeks out, I usually say 13 days before. That helps people know when. So if I'm preaching on a Wednesday, 13 days before would be a Thursday. Yep. If I'm preaching on a Sunday, well, that's going to be a Monday. And that's if you take a, a Friday day off pattern. You can adjust these things. But about 13 days before, just pull out the passage again, and do what I call detailed observation. It's just a concept from inductive Bible study. Many pastors have experienced that training. If you haven't, it's real simple. You just make four columns in a table on a Word document. Uh, and in the first column, you just list the verse. Second column, it's observations. And you just note anything, even if it's as mundane as can be. God is the direct object. I had an entire sermon come out of that once. I, mm. I said, God is the direct object, not the indirect object. That was the first box in my, to -do, in my direct observation. Then I ask questions about that. You know, what does that mean? How does that change my understanding? How does it change the relationship with the passage? How does that change the Christian's life? And I did a lot of other study around it that fed back into it. But in that first 15 minutes, I had the nugget for the sermon that was yeah. going to keep driving me. What would change if God was my direct object, not my indirect object? And that, that did a lot for, for that sermon. So it can be very mundane things. 
then you ask questions in the, the, that middle column. And the final column, you put your hunches, your guesses, how to interpret it. Sometimes you leave it blank. Sometimes you write in your best guess, so you at least name it. It's okay to be wrong. You spend 15 minutes on that, 13 days out, just 15. You have a blank document like that. You open up each week and you set the timer even. So you can put it on your to-do to list. You know what to do. 15 minutes detailed observation. Any pastor can do that on any Monday. If they don't do that, they're probably procrastinating and they have to admit it to themselves, which yeah. also holds us accountable, right? Yeah. Um, so that 15 minutes gets you interpreting and starts making you ask the interpretive questions that will lead you to the tools you've probably learned to use at some point. You can use Blue Letter Bible, uh, Bible Hub, those kind of websites now they're fantastic for getting all those tools together. But uh, that comes a little bit later in the second week. So in that second week, you start your interpretive work somewhat in earnest, but it's the same concept. Preaching doesn't have to be a five-hour block carved out of the, the complex pastoral life that people experience today. It's different than it was in 1895 when you had a little parish and you walked anywhere you needed to go and people didn't expect automatic connection and there was no office staff, no multiple pastoral staff. That just didn't happen. Mm -hmm. So preaching was different in those. And that's, we need to wake up from that. And uh, 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there, 30 minutes here, 30 minutes there, woven in and out of pastoral life brings a sermon to bear so that by the end of the second week, you're starting this beginning outlining process, which at the end of your week means your anxiety system is low. When you move into your day off on Friday, you actually have a mental day off, not just a, I don't go to the office day off. I love that. Yeah. A lot of pastors never get a true day off from their anxiety yeah. because the sermon's still weighing on them. I know how many times I would go for a walk on, uh, on Saturday, usually in the evening, often in the, in the afternoon, and there's just a sermon running through my head, right? And, and it was, it's hard to dislodge it. It's hard to dislodge it when you have it feeling like that, that Sunday's looming, right? And the, the, the delivery of it is looming. And you know, I used to describe the shift like this. Uh, it didn't always happen. But when it did, it was like, I moved from being in control of the sermon to the sermon being in control of me. Mm -hmm. And, and um, that was something I couldn't control, right? I, I mean, maybe looking back, I could control a little bit more if I had been advanced a little bit more. But I certainly couldn't just like shove it out of my head if I hadn't yep. done all that preparatory work. We're going to save some of the last, you know, week of wisdom that you have in, in, uh, that you've put into, put into Practicing the Preaching Life. Again, Practicing the Preaching Life, published by Abingdon Press uh, by Dr. Dave Ward. We'll save some of that so leader, uh, listeners can uh, check out the resource as well. But I want you to, in the last few minutes we have left, I want you to speak to what do you hope will emerge for the pastor? You've kind of hinted at some of this a couple of times with the anxiety system going down. Mm -hmm. um, what would be some of the practical benefit of learning to readjust their preaching life to be uh, homileticians yep. uh, with this kind of rhythm. What do you hope is, is going to be the result for pastors? Sure. Well, just, I'll give you two stories because they, they help uh, embody what I hope will happen. And that is happening for pastors. And it, and it thrills me. One of my friends, James, he pastors a multi-ethnic church down in Nashville and I'm working with him on his preaching and he's a fantastic preacher uh, has a church of about 2000. It's a very diverse church. He's been doing it for a while. He's gifted. Um, he is going through this book and going through this process and giving his whole pastoral energy on the side that he has. Any extra energy he has is going to this right now. And he told me a couple of weeks ago, he said, Dave, 
people are coming to me and saying, what's changed in your preaching? I remember every single word. That's exactly what someone said to him. I don't know what changed, but I remember every single word. What are you doing? And part of that for him was he has pressed the process earlier. So he has more things that are substantive to say, but he's also saying them more clearly because he had more time to polish it and he's living them more deeply. So they resonate and he has wisdom for people. And he's hearing the sermons before they hear them, instead of finding his way on Sunday morning and getting there, you know, as he's done well. He's done very well. I mean, many pastors would just love to have the, the kind of ministry he's had. But they're saying something's changed. Hmm. And they're, it's compelling them. And two weeks later, they're still coming back to him saying, I'm remembering every word of that sermon. Uh, God's working in my life. That's one piece of the picture. Uh, another text I got from a friend of mine, he's a church planter, a serial church planter, planted multiple churches, and he sent out at least 15 that I know of church planters out from his church, Russ. Russ sent me a text last Thursday, and he was in a conference in March when we launched the book, and he went through a, a biblical preaching conference with a group of other 50 other pastors or something like that. And uh, we had dinner one night to talk, and, and he implemented this entire system. And I hadn't heard much from him, but I bumped into one of his church planters. So I sent him a text, said, hey, Russ, thinking of you. Here's a guy, I sent him a picture that you sent out, blessings on your ministry, that kind of thing. He wrote back and said, Dave, I'm 63. And I need you to know that I'm growing and changing. And wow. that for the last six months, I've had a day off every week. And my preaching is better. My wife says it's better. She wouldn't say that unless it was true. <laughs> uh, that's what he said. They have a very honest relationship, to put it kindly. I mean, they love each other. They're just one of those fun couples that when you're with, you're like, wow, that playfulness uh, has an edge, but it's fun. Somehow it works for them, you know. Uh, and uh, she's saying that his preaching is improving and he's getting a day off every week. This is a church planting church planter whose missional life is incredible. But he says at 63, it's been transformed yeah. in a way that is very meaningful and helpful to him. So uh, those kind of things are what I hope will happen. Uh, a, a leader of Methodist churches up in Minnesota this last week for a conference I gave said, uh, wish I'd learned this 40 years ago. So my hope is really that younger preachers too yeah. will get a hold of this early in their ministry yeah. and they'll craft a beautiful, sustainable preaching life that they love. Yeah. That doesn't burn them out, but gives better preaching to send out better disciples into the world, not just for the church's sake. I was putting together a talk on evangelism in the West in the 21st century. And one of the things that um, I was trying to communicate through it was that um, I described it like this. Evangelism is personal. And by that, I, I didn't just mean relational as in from friend to friend, but it's personal. It has to be rooted in actual persons. And so many of us are tempted to wear busyness as a badge of importance, responsibility, even effectiveness. And this is cutting through all that. This is yeah. like, no, this is, you. sure, you are busy, but with good rhythm and some wisdom and some humility to, to become the person that's mm -hmm. developed the virtues that you talk about in the book as well, uh, you can really cut that busyness down and enjoy time off. Yes. Part of the point of evangelism and the, and the preaching should be evangelistic, but it should be good news always coming through it, embodied in the preacher, part of something in uh, persons who are evangelists now that I think our world wants to see is a deep sense of joy, right? They don't just want to see people who are um, more effective at being busy, right. right? They want to see people who are actually living a different rhythm of life. And something that's appealing is a person who is 
living a different rhythm of life. And out of that, because the spirit is present, is joy, which is fruit of the spirit. And I, and I hear that in the text and the communications you're getting, right? It's like, like you've got pastors who are experiencing joy. Yeah. And what, what a beautiful story that is. Yeah, I love it. It feels like, and this is why I prayed for it. It's why it took 10 years to write it. I started writing this years ago, but I always felt checked when it was, I was thinking about actually publishing it because it wasn't quite ready yet. And I reworked it through multiple pastors' lives and multiple groups' lives and multiple different cultures and locations. And I'm glad he kept holding me back because now I really do feel like I have medicine to give. Yeah. Not just a book that I want to publish. It's medicine and it works and it's tested. And so that gives me a lot of confidence and joy in giving it. I think this is going to help. Trust me. Let, let me say it like this. It's like you practiced the writing life in a way that, that work this into life and in and out of your teaching and, and over 10 years, you know, yeah. we were talking about a sermon getting birthed over, over a month, you've birthed this over, over 10 years. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And, and I've enjoyed our conversations about the book. Um, I've enjoyed this conversation. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast to share some of your wisdom with our listeners. So My thanks, pleasure. For, thanks for being here. My pleasure. I encourage you to check out Practicing the Preaching Life by Dr. Dave Ward published by Abingdon Press uh, here at the Wesley Seminary Podcast. We've got a couple of other episodes on preaching. Check out Dr. Lenny Lucetti's episode on preaching with empathy. We've got a, uh, an episode called How to Preach a Dangerous Sermon by Frank Thomas. And now we've got Dave Ward talking about practicing the preaching life. So maybe there's uh, some themes coming through here in uh, speaking to, to preachers. So thank you listeners for tuning in. Uh, thank you for your support. Check out those other episodes and look forward to uh, having you tune in again. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great day. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary.